But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 will be our main focus this morning. Last week, as we see Paul closing out the book of Ephesians, we see him encourage us as a church and this church that he's writing to, these Christians that he's writing to, uh, to be people of, of prayer, to be praying. And so we talked about that last week, and no doubt many of you, if you're like myself, realized or at least contemplated the fact that your prayer life probably could be better. And so maybe this week you attempted to do better at that. And so maybe this week you tried to pray without ceasing. Hopefully this week you thought about that. And as God would put things in your mind or in your heart, you would pray for those things and talk with God and have communication with God and have an attitude of, of prayer in your life. And maybe you've also noticed how that lasted Monday and ended Tuesday. Which just again shows us the difficulty uh, many of us have with praying. But it's something that we need to continue to try to do. Or maybe even you saw the opportunity to be praying for yourself. Things in your life that you needed to mention to the Lord. Uh, different areas, maybe different things. Maybe even sins and, re and repentance that you needed to do. Whatever it might have been. Or maybe it was praise and thanksgiving for how good God has been to you. And so I hope that you tried that this week. I pray that you would continue in that. But what we'll see is that Paul will continue on with prayer. But as I was studying uh, more this week, there was a quote from uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that came up that I want to read for you because I thought it was very helpful. In talking about praying for all of the saints, there at the end of last week, in verse 18, he said to remember to pray for all the saints. And, and we mentioned that. But as a church family, we have the privilege to pray for each other. At least I hope you're doing that. I hope you're taking the opportunity to do that because that's something that we need to, to be doing. Yes, we need to be praying for all the saints around the world. But God, at this moment in your life, whether you like it or not, has put you here with these people. And that's who you are to be praying for, who are you, to, you are to be fellowshipping with, caring for, and loving for. And I thought these words that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said were, at least it was, it was helpful for me. And it's actually something that I've noticed in my ministry uh, that a lot of people have difficulty with. And so I, I hope that you'll uh, listen to what he has to say here. He says, salvation is not only private and personal. It is a common salvation. It is something we share with all Christian people. But it is equally true to say that we are facing a common foe. And that we are all subject to the same problems and difficulties. Now this is what we've been talking about uh, with the armor of God. He goes on to say, public worship is of great importance for this very reason. The devil would have us imagine and think that religion is entirely personal and that we alone are involved in it. So, listening to him, we tend to sit in our corners and to think that we are having an unusually hard time. We commiserate with ourselves. We feel very sorry for ourselves. And we are utterly cast down. And so the devil is victorious. One of the best antidotes to that danger is to realize, as the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We are not alone in this. It is the lot of every Christian. That is what the apostle emphasizes here, that we share the same salvation and we are confronted by precisely the same enemy, the same subtlety, the same arts are deployed against every one of us. 
This cannot be stressed too much. He says, I speak out of some experience in a pastoral sense, and indeed, even in a medical sense. That's because he was also a practicing doctor. He says, I have found throughout the years that people are frequently amazed when I tell them that other people are having exactly the same difficulties as themselves. The devil, obviously, in his subtlety, has got them to think and has persuaded them that they are alone. The moment they realize that others are involved and are experiencing exactly the same trials, immediately they feel a sense of release. They also feel that they can stand up again and face the enemy. So the apostle tells us to make supplication always for all other saints because they are engaged in the same battle and conflict that we are in ourselves. I have found in my time on this earth with people is that when I talk to them and they actually start to talk, they do feel as if they are alone on an island in the struggles that they're facing. And it amazes them when they find out, you know, you're not alone. This week, I had three separate phone calls from three separate people who are losing their home and had to find a place to go. And when I got to the third one, this lady on the phone was, was very worried and, and, you know, of course she was. She, she should be with what was going on. And she was talking and she was talking as if no one else has ever experienced this. And I told her, I said, you know, you're the third phone call today. Same situation, same exact situation. And I assured her as a church, we'll try to help. We'll do the best that we can. I can't buy you a home. I can't even find you a place. I don't know where to tell you to go, but maybe we can do something uh, in the short term. And we try to do that as often as we can. But don't we do this so often as Christians? We sit in our pew. We sit at home. And when people say, how are things going? You think in your mind, you would not understand. And so we don't even tell them. When in fact, they would understand. We go through problems that are common to all man. Yes, as Paul said there in Corinthians, as, as Lloyd-Jones quoted, temptation that is common to all man, and that is true. But there's also no real new problems. We are faced the same problems. And one of the reasons why we do not realize this and we do not understand this is because we do not pray for each other. We don't share with each other our needs. We don't share with each other our prayer requests. And so therefore, when we talk to so-and-so in the hallway, or when we, when we go to our home group or our Sunday school class, and everybody just seems to be okay, we think, I am out of the ordinary then. Because I can barely breathe. Right? I'm barely making it. I feel like I'm drowning. And I'm just every once in a while, getting my head above water to take a gas just to be pushed down again. And so we start to think in this way that maybe it is different for me. Maybe life is harder for me. Maybe I am facing struggles that nobody else is facing. And what that does is Satan starts to then lead into us. We have this sort of pride of suffering that we think other people don't experience. But in fact, we all experience these things Many of you have been very kind to me over the past couple weeks. You've come to me and say, oh, how's your dad doing? You heard that my dad was sick. You've been praying for him. That was, that was great to hear. Or this, this week, my grandfather is really sick and not doing well in the hospital. Maybe you've come. I'm praying for you. How are you doing? And I don't really know how to answer that other than to say I'm doing probably how you did when your grandfather died because I'm not the only one who's faced this, of the chance of having a grandparent pass away. It's common to everybody. Throughout history, it, it happens. 
But it's good to know that people are praying for you and that they care for you. And so I want to encourage you pastorally. You see, in a congregation like this, I can't sit here and take prayer requests. We can't sit here and pray for every single request that comes across on email and take time out to do that. It's just not possible to do that. But what we set up in the church is we do have small groups. We have Sunday school classes. But yes, part of that is to teach you God's word. But also, in each of those Sunday school classes, they take time to pray together. And I would encourage you to be a part of that. We have home groups. Home groups is an opportunity and a place for you to get to know people within our church family and to do just this, to pray for each other, to care for one another. We've tried to create opportunities to where you don't have to be the Christian on the island all by yourself. But again, I think what the warning I would give you is I think what Satan tries to do to us is say, stay on this island. It's comfortable on this island. I want to tell you that island is destroying. You need to be with other Christians who can love and who can care for you and who can minister to you and who can hold you accountable and who they can then go and cry to you as well when they're hurting and receive a shoulder of love and support and care. And so we have to remember to be praying for each other. And Paul says that. He says there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, right, to pray for all the saints, making supplication for all the saints. But then our verses for today, verses 19 through 20, Paul says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul kind of shifts the discussion a little bit and he asks the church there to be praying for him. He's in a rough situation. He's in jail. He's facing a lot of persecution. And so he's asking them to please pray for him. I want to look at these two verses uh, really in four different ways. I'll share them with you. Some of you like to take notes. It helps you to do that. First, he says to pray for him. This is the corporate part of pastoring. Then he says to do what I'm called to do. He wants to boldly speak the mystery of the gospel. We'll focus on that. And then Paul wants to remember who he really is. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And then lastly, he wants to do his job the way he has been told to do it. He says, I want, pray that I would speak as I ought to speak. Maybe not as he wants to speak but as he ought to speak. And so those are the four things that we're going to look at this morning. Paul here asks this church to pray for him specifically. He says, pray for me. Paul's ministry, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, was anything but easy. I think a lot of times when we think back to biblical characters, we think it would be so easy. You think it would be so easy to be Moses or David or Samuel. These people who it's like, well, God spoke to them. They just, they just knew it. Or Paul, he's on his way to Damascus and Oh, God just changes his life, and it's like, this is so easy. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. I want to tell you it's not that easy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, I mean, if this is a ministry you want to sign up for, uh, by all means, I guess, do it. But I think it would be crazy. Because he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, 
in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The Apostle Paul went through it. He went through it. When we read that and we start to think about our own problems, my problems seem to be kind of minimal. I cannot imagine being adrift at sea. That scares me to death. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. I'm a pretty good swimmer. But I could not imagine being in that situation. I would never get on a boat again. And he would. He'd go on a boat again. He'd do it yet again. To see the ministry that he had, which God blessed greatly. We know this. But it went with so much difficulty. And so through these difficulties, Paul is saying, please, as a church family, as a, as a church that I had the privilege of starting, as we read there in Acts that Pastor Spencer read, he calls the elders of what church? This church together to talk to them. He says, please pray for me. And in doing this, Paul shows so much humility here in asking for prayer. But he also shows great dependence on God. He realizes that he needs this prayer. And he humbles himself to be able to ask these people, please pray for me. For some of us here this morning, it's very hard to ask for prayer. I'm one of those. I try my best to not show anything. I don't want people. Now, if I'm hungry, you'll know that. I'll complain about that real quick. But other things I don't want to. I don't want to show anxiety. I don't want to show any hurt. I don't want to show any despair. I'm used to being the one of receiving requests, not the one of giving them out. And so it's uncomfortable when you have to give them out. But there can be a sense of pride in that too. And Paul just pushes that away. And in his humility, he says, please Please pray for me. Now, this passage really is talking to leaders in the church. I mean, we could definitely go there, and we will to some. But I want to mention again, as I already have, as a church family, we need to know how to pray for each other. And we cannot do that unless we share with each other those prayer needs. We have to be willing to do that. Not in a whiny way, not in a way that you just overcome somebody all the time, but just being honest with people. Please pray for me. I have this going on. Or even sharing good things. You know, those are, those are exciting things to hear as well. Seeing our graduates up here, that's a good thing to see. They've accomplished a big task. It's exciting to see that. And so sharing this with each other so that we can then honestly be the church family that God has called us to be. To be praying for and caring for one another. As I said, most commentators here will look at this section as one of praying for those who teach the word of God to you and to pastors I think that's an appropriate thing here. I don't think this is something that gets just thrust on this passage. But did you know, without the prayers of the church family, without your prayers for what I am doing right now, what I'm doing right now, then it's kind of pointless. You know that? I mean, I don't have anything great to say in my own mind or my own wisdom. But prayer is the thing that God has given us as pastors from our congregation to put power into the preaching, to put power into the message, right? And that, that is what is needed, and that is what is, that's one of the things that Paul is asking for here. And so that's why I kind of titled this, Yes, Pray For Me, the corporate part of pastoring. You may see it this morning as Pastor Tim's job to come up here and preach. I see it, though, as your job to put power behind my preaching. And it can only be done if you are praying. Yes, I can pray for it. But I need you to be praying for it. I need the church family to be coming together, praying that God will use the message. 
will use the service to encourage us, to equip us, to convict us, to save lost souls that are here. That's work that God does. And the Bible tells us it comes about by, by prayer. And Paul understood this. He knows that he can go around and, and do all these different things, but there's going to be no power behind it unless the churches are praying for him and praying that God will use him. And it's important to know what Paul asked for specifically here. Because remember where Paul is. Paul is in jail. Paul is having a terrible time. He's not having his best life at this moment, as some would say. Right? He's, he's in a, a dirty, nasty dungeon cell in chains. And so we would expect to hear him ask for release from his chains. Right? Pray for me that I'd be released out of jail, that I can have my freedom back, that I could go serve God in that way again. But look at what Paul says. Look at, look at exactly what he asked for. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly. Two times in this passage, we see the same word, boldly. Paul knows his weakness. He knows where his weaknesses are and where they lie. And what he wants is he wants to, have bold, he wants to be bold in every single situation he faces. Again, he's not asking for them to release him. He never once asked for that. Hey, pray that I would get out of jail. We don't see that. I would dare say that'd be the first thing I'd ask. I, I would, I'd be the first thing I'd ask. Pray that I get to go home. I don't want to be here. And then maybe you might get onto some other things. Paul doesn't do that. He says, give me boldness. Now, do you think that Paul doesn't ask to be released from jail because he wants to be in jail? No. It's because above all things, Paul wants to have boldness to do what God has called him to do. He wants to be faithful to the things that God has called him to do. And for him, it doesn't stop just because he's in jail. So the question then would be asked, well, what is it that God has called Paul to do? Well, he says that in his prayer when he asks. And verses 18, 19, he says, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We've talked about this all through Ephesians, but Paul was called by God to share the gospel to the Gentiles, to let them know that this God of the Jews is not just God of the Jews. He's your God as well. And he sent his son for you, and you can be a part of his family by grace through faith in Jesus. And this is what Paul wants to continue to do even when he's chained up, even when he is in prison. He wants to see, above anything else, he wants to see the church being built up strong for Christ. That's what he wants to see. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 13. This is the beginning of of three, he's getting ready to enter chapter four where he starts to tell us all the things that we get to do now as Christians. But he says this, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men, in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Then Paul goes on to describe himself. 
of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. See, all the way back in chapter 3, Paul knew it's not only discouraging to him that he's in jail, it's, in, it's, in, it's discouraging to the churches that he started. They're like, this is our guy. This is the one that we love who came and told us about Christ and who established elders for us and pastors for us who would teach us and, and train us. And now... He's off into jail. What does that mean for us? Right? What, what does that then mean for me? And Paul's saying, don't worry about me. But continue to pray that the mystery of the gospel will be revealed to the Gentiles. That the, that the gospel will still be proclaimed. That's what Paul was so concerned about when he was saying, pray for me. And I continue to preach this gospel even here in this jail cell. Paul goes on. And he talks about, he, ha he asks them to pray for him so that he will remember who he is. You say, where do you get that? Paul says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul doesn't say a prisoner in chains. He says an ambassador in chains. This isn't the only time Paul refers to himself as an ambassador for Christ. He does it as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, therefore, we, talking about Christians, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul finds himself in this prison chained up, yet he still knows he's Jesus' ambassador. It's interesting that his flesh, fleshly situation does not change his spiritual situation. And you guys need to hear that because churches today, many churches and pastors are pushing against this truth. They would tell you that your fleshly situation is actually telling you exactly where your spiritual situation is, and that is not true biblically. What is happening in your flesh doesn't mean what is happening in your spirit. You may be facing horrible times, great persecution, great struggles, great financial stresses, but it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because that you're not one of his children. It's because you are facing problems that is common to all men. We all face these problems. It's part of the world. It's part of sin. And so we, cannot, we, we need to be like Paul in this way, where we do not let our fleshly situation determine our spiritual reality. And so what does Paul mean here when he says an ambassador? Well, we've talked about this before, but an ambassador is one who lives or goes to a foreign land and when he goes to this foreign land or lives in this foreign land, they represent their home land, right? They don't, they don't move from America to Spain and now say, well, now I'm Spanish. No, they're American living in Spain. And they represent America. And they do what's best for America there in Spain. And they try to have relations there. They try to, to share with them there. But they do it on our behalf in the United States. They go to do that. 
And this is the language that Paul uses. Because when that ambassador goes over to Spain, they do not speak their own thoughts. They speak the thoughts of their nation. They say what they're supposed to say. They do what they are supposed to do. So for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, and Paul's in this as well, we are called to be ambassadors for him each day. So what does that mean for us? Well, this is what it should mean. It should mean that we live for his glory always, not our own. We're always thinking about his kingdom, not our kingdom. We go where he tells us to go. And I say that again because so many people that I come across, I want to emphasize this because so many people I come across, they just want to go. And I already said this once this morning. I want to remind you, you are right here now. And this is where God wants you now. If he didn't want you here right now, you wouldn't be here. I say this, I, I think some of the teens had to leave who were up here for graduation because their school put graduation on Sunday now. But a lot of, a lot of teenagers that, I got to get out of here to succeed. I got to get out of here to do what God wants me to do. That's not always true. And so when I say that, when I say we go where he tells us to go, for many of us, that'll be right here. Or right here. And we stay here and we do what? Well, we live how he wants us to live. I think this is very important too. These are other sermons that we will talk about one day. But for most of us, that means we will live a very ordinary life in a very ordinary town and we will do it to the glory of God. You will never be famous. You will never become rich. You will never be sought after. You'll never be looked upon by the president to say, I really need your opinion. You'll never be called by entertainment tonight to see what your next thought is. That's not going to be you. You're going to go to work tomorrow. and You're going to go to work the next day. And Lord willing, next Sunday, you're going to be in church again. And you might meet with your home group, and then you're going to be in church again the next Sunday, and you're going to keep doing that until when? Until you pass away. You say, well, that's not very spectacular. That's God's design and plan. That's how he works. You raise your kids for the glory of God. You spend your marriage for the glory of God. You go to work for the glory of God. You serve your church for the glory of God. You have your friends for the glory of God. And you live a life of faithfulness where God has put you. We do what he wants us to do. We view everything in light of him. For Paul, even being in jail, it did not change his calling. He knew he was called to serve the churches and these Gentile churches, and though he may not be able to start another church because he's confined by the chains, he knows that he can write letters to the churches that he started and continue to strengthen them, continue to help them, continue to urge them to, hey, you go and share the gospel. You go, let your friends and your family and your neighbors know the truth of what God has done. It's amazing to see that Paul didn't look at those chains and look at them in a way where he said these these. These chains are so, so dumb. I don't want these. These are, these are embarrassing. No. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, 
not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. What do we hear from Paul there? God, if it takes me being in prison and chains for your gospel to go out, so be it. Let me remain. If this is for your glory and this is for your good, let me stay in this horrible situation. This is why we as your pastors, we really need your prayer. We need to be reminded every day of who we are. That we have been called to preach the gospel and to teach the gospel and to love you. And to love you well. And it's easy to get sidetracked from that. But prayer is what we need to help us to remember that. We do not have the right. Pastor Dave, Pastor Spencer, Pastor Scott, myself, you as Sunday school teachers, those of you who teach our youth, those of you who help teach our children, we do not have the right to speak our own mind. That's not what Sunday school hour is for. That's not what this preaching time is for. That's not what Sunday night preaching time is for. It's not to hear from Tim. We are, taught, we are called to preach the word of God and to teach the word of God, and that is what we must do. And so it's important for you to pray for your church leaders that they would flee from pride or that they would flee from this covert sense of humility, which I run across a lot of time, which is like, I think you're just masking your pride as humility. That's so easy to do. We need to stay true to the calling to love the flock that God has given us and to preach the word despite anything else. Despite anything else. And this would include, which I'm very thankful I haven't had to face imprisonment. It includes ridicule. And what I have faced, and I'm not trying to complain, but this is probably what many pastors around our place face the most, is hurt from the flock. There's time where you try to care and you try to love for the congregation. And what do they do? They, they bite back. And that hurts. You're like, I'm trying to care for you. And you're just trying to hurt me. You're just trying to get at me. But even when that happens, that doesn't change what? It shouldn't change the love for the flock. It's just like if you have a pet, if you have an animal that you're trying to care for and love for and they hurt you, I don't know if that makes you angry. Maybe it does. For me, it does. I'd love to get rid of my dog if anybody wants one. Um, <laughs> But I'm guessing you continue to love your, that dog, right? Even though it hurts you, or you could look at it in any way, I guess. Even with children, your children will hurt you at times, but you still love them. You still care for them. I know for me, I need great prayer in this. For you to pray that your pastor would love you how I should, love you well, and care for you. Because that's what God has called me to do, and I need to do that. Paul goes on to say, to do my job in a way I am told to do it. Because he says there at the end, as I ought to speak. And I think that's an interesting phrase. Because remember, Paul was an, was an apostle. And he was given a particular task. And it was a very important task. He's been talking about that. You guys have heard me talk about that. And Paul wanted to do this task though in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. And when he says, I want to do this as I ought to speak. We, we should ask, what does this mean? What is, he, what is he talking about? Does Paul mean... That he should be speaking eloquently. Does he mean, help me to speak in a way that is convincing so that I can change people's mind? I think that's what a lot of people would go to. But I think because of some of Paul's other writings, there's no way that this is what Paul means. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verse 1 through 5, Paul says, and, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul knew, he, I'm not coming to you with some great wisdom. Paul knew, I'm not coming to you as some great orator that can speak eloquently and just convince all of you to fall on your face before God and accept Christ as your Savior. Paul understood, this isn't what's happening. And so what does Paul mean then when he says, as I ought to speak? I think Paul wants to speak in a way, this is what he's asking for. He's saying, I want to speak in a way that shows the power of God, not the power of Paul. Help the people see the word of God coming to life, to, to know that it's true. And he knows that this can only come about by prayer. He wants his words to be seen as loving, as if Jesus himself is sharing the love of God through his word. That's what he wants it to be seen as. There's a danger when preaching or teaching, and if you've ever had the opportunity to teach or preach, you know this, that you start to do it in a way that, number one, could be arrogant, or you start to do it in a way that becomes pompous. You can have this attitude of just trying to be right and trying to prove people wrong, and you start to come across that way, and it's noticeable. Or you can start teaching and preaching and acting as if you have some sort of moral high ground on top of everybody else, and you just throw guilt on everybody all the time. Instead, we've been called as Christians and as pastors as well and teachers, as Paul's already told us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that we are supposed to speak the truth in love, he says. You remember that? Ephesians 4, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And the only thing that can do that, I know for me, is prayer. I've had people tell me many times, when you preach, you're very direct. And I think when they say that, I think they mean it in an okay way. But it also, to me, what I hear is you do it in a very unloving way. It sounds unloving. It sounds harsh. It sounds like criticism. And I struggle with that because I don't want it to come across that way. When I was early in my ministry of preaching, man, almost 20 years ago now, that is how I preached. I have no doubt. I preached angry. What are you ignorant people doing? You need to button up. You need to wise up. You need to see the truth here. If you guys would just act better, this church would be better. That's, how, that's where it was coming from. But it only took a few years of that to where God really started to convict me. Do you love these people? Or are you just trying to change these people? Because as a pastor, you're supposed to love these people. And so I know for me, that's probably the biggest prayer request I would have for you as a church family for me. Is to pray that I would preach the word of God well, but to do it loving. That you would know as a church family that you are, that you are loved. And the way that I can best show my love is to point you to the truth of his word over and over and over again. Even when it hurts. Even when you want to bite back. Even when you want to say, Pastor Tim, that's ridiculous. I don't think you're the man for the job anymore. Okay, I still love you. And it doesn't change the truth of the word of God. 
but also to be humble enough to be able to say, I'm sorry, I think I was wrong. I think you're right. I think I should have done that a different way. Right? I, I, those are things that are difficult, and I can promise you only come about by prayer. Because I dare you would say that in your own life as well, right, where you have to have that. And so Paul here says, pray for me. When was the last time you went up to one of your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Seriously, not your husband, not your wife, somebody else. And you said, hey, will you pray for me? This is going on. And it's not that maybe someone in your family is sick or maybe whatever, but it's like something with you. Hey, will you, will you pray for me? Or you could take it in a step further. Hey, will you pray for me that my relationship with God would really be where it needs to be? See, that's a scary thing to ask for, isn't it? Because you think right away that person thinks, what's going on in, what's going on in his life? <clears throat> But honestly, it might not be anything. It might just be, I just want to know him more. I'm actually on an upward trend with God right now, and I don't want it to stop. I want it to keep going. Maybe that's what you're asking for. But honestly, when's the last time you went to one of your church members and really said, will you, will you pray with me? Home group leaders, Sunday school teachers. When's the last time you looked at your class or your home group and you looked at them with very loving eyes and thought, Pray with each other. Let's be there for each other. What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? This is how you can pray for me. See, that's what Paul is encouraging this church to be doing here. Is to be intimate with each other in a way that's very vulnerable. He's just went through this whole book of Ephesians, of which we'll talk about next week as he closes out his book here. But some would say that Ephesians has some of the most eloquent theology in all of Scripture. And he's worked his way through all of, of, of who you are as a Christian in Christ and what, what God has done for you and what you could not do a sinner. And then he said, and if this is true, then this is how it's going to be in your marriage. And this is how it's going to be with your children. And this is how it's going to be at work. And this is what God has given you, this armor, to do this. And when he gets to the end, he's saying, don't forget to pray. Pray for each other, love each other, care for each other, and realize that all of us in this room are going through great difficulties. But God has put us in this church family so that we do not have to do it alone. If it comes down to it with my grandfather and he passes away, it'll be very helpful to hear words from Christians reminding me, not that it's gonna be okay, none of that stuff. But it'll be very helpful to hear you say, it's good that we have hope in Christ, isn't it? That's what we need to hear during those times. The truth of the word. Not, oh, Tim, you're going to get through it. I know I'm going to get through it. I don't need to hear that. But I want to have hope. Remind me of where the hope is. Right? When we're struggling at work, we don't know if we're going to continue to have our job or whatever it might be. Remind me of my hope. Remind me that it's not in the things of this world, but it's in the truths of this book. It's in the truths of our God that we unite around together because of his son. That's what we need as a church family.
But we can only do that when we're praying together and when we know our needs for each other. I hope as a church family, prayer is important to us. I'm sure there's always more that we could do. There's always more and more and more. And I don't know if that's always the answer. As Paul would say, we talked about last week, he says, really never let your prayers end. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. I hope you know that that's where our attitude and our heart needs to be as a church family. To always be in the mode and attitude of prayer for one another. Asking God to be with our fellow church members at work, at school, wherever it might be. They would be glorifying him in their life. And I have no doubt that as we're faithful to be praying to God, God will continue to remain faithful to us because he always does. And we'll see people come to know the Lord. We'll see lives changed, as Paul said, for his glory, not for our own. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God. We'll, we'll sing a song here at the end. <clears throat> But as I pray, I hope that you'll be praying as well. As I said, responding to the word of God today. God, as we begin to wrap up this book of Ephesians that you've given us through the writing of Paul. God, we thank you for the truth of it. It's been a long time as we've been journeying through Ephesians. I know we've took some breaks and different things. but About a year and a half in this book. And God, it's astounding to see what you have done for us through Christ. It's astounding to see how you've changed our life and how you, you love us so much. You don't just save us and say, all right, now go. But you've told us then what that means. There's ramifications of that. And God, it's also something we neglect so often, but prayer is a gift that you have given us to be able to approach you. Because of Jesus being our mediator and the power of the Spirit working in our life, we can go to you, our Father, and share our desires, our needs, our wants, whatever it might be. But God, we also have the privilege of praying for each other. So God, I thank you for having a church family that I know does pray for me. I thank you for that. The times where people have asked, is there anything I can be praying for you for, or whatever it might be. But God, I do pray that as a church body here, that we would do better in praying for each other, that we'd be willing to be vulnerable, to not be embarrassed when we have to share a request or think, Ah, oh, this is too small. It's not something worth sharing. God, it's hard as churches get bigger to, to do that in settings, but I pray that we've set some things up here and people would be a part of Sunday school. They'd be a part of a home group, these smaller settings where you have that opportunity to do that well and to really care for each other and love each other. God, I do covet the prayers of our, our church family as pastor. I know the other pastors do as well. Help us to remember who we are. We are ambassadors for you. We should never speak on our own authority, but only your authority. So help us to be faithful to that. Help us to love this congregation how we should, with great love and compassion and kindness, but also in strength to tell the truth, your truth to the word of when we need to be corrected or need to be moved. God, I pray that our church family would sense that they are loved and that we would do what we can to do that well. God, during this time now, as we get ready to sing this last song of worship, I do pray that it would be worshipful. Help us to continue to respond to your word. Maybe some need to continue to pray, whatever that might be. But God, we want to glorify you and honor you. So help us to do that now with this song we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.